0: There are moments in our lives when something happens and everything changes. We have experiences when everything just like changes. I'm going to give you a fun example. Recently, my well-off friend took me to a three Michelin star restaurant in San Francisco. And uh, yes, I know. Very fancy. And if you don't know what a Michelin star is, (laughs) let me just tell you. (laughs) It's It's a 10-course meal. Everything is perfection. Everything from the decor to how they treat you. They thought my friend Sean and I were on a date. We're not on a date. And we sat down and we looked at each other. We're like, this is the most romantic restaurant I've ever been to. Sorry, I got to look at your ugly face. And uh, so we sit down and it was superb. And everything from beginning to end, the experience, like the decoration, the service, and the food was amazing. To the level, a number of times during... The meal. I said to myself, "I'd take a bite of something. I go, you know, things are going to be different now. <laughs> my life is going to be different as a result of this meal. Um, there are things that happen to us that change us. That meal changed my me a little bit because I think about food a little bit differently. But on a more serious note, there's things that we experience that change us on the inside. Like for real. Recently, I was in Denver. Uh, we were at the Vineyard National Conference. Now, if you don't know, this Pacific City Church is a part of an association of churches called the Vineyard, the Vineyard Movement. And in the Vineyard, they have these national conferences. And recently, we went to one with a few of our leaders uh, in Denver. And while I was in Denver, uh, there was times where we waited on the Holy Spirit. We said, God, we want you to do what you want to do in the room. And I tell you, I had four people deliver the exact same prophetic word to me over the course of the over the course of the week. Now they used different words, but it was the same thrust, and it had to do with me holding on to things too tightly and I needed to leave space for God to do something in my life and in my career and in my family and I was just holding on to things too tightly. But if it wasn't for the power of the Holy Spirit working through people in those moments, I wouldn't have seen a vision for what my life could be, what our ministry could be, what this church could be. And I'm here to tell you, as a result of those experiences, I'm walking into our church. I'm walking into my family thinking very differently about how I should move forward because my vision has been changed. My line of sight has been changed as a result of an encounter with God. And the same is true for you and for me. Our experiences have the ability to shape what we see in our own lives, what we see in our community, and especially our experiences with God. They have the ability to shape what we see in ourselves, in our partner, in our roommate, in our work. And the thing I want to talk to you about is God has a vision for your life. God has a vision for your life. Now today for the whole month of and for the whole month of August we are starting a new series called God give us eyes to see. And what we believe is that God has supernatural ability to work into your mind and your heart to give you eyes to see the vision that he has not only for your life, but for the lives of the people you love, for your community, for your workplace, for everything. And we are launching this vision series because we believe that God wants to speak to this room. He wants to speak to you about the things you're walking through, the things that you're dealing with, the things that you're afraid of. And he wants to get away that crud. The things that are not of him. And he wants to give you a crystal clear vision of how the future could be. And when we think of the word vision, maybe we just think of 2020 vision. Maybe we think of Justin Timberlake with the little thing, 2020 experience. But what is vision? What is vision? Vision is a crystal clear picture of how the future could be. It is what could be and what should be. And by God's grace, what will be. And what we believe is that God has a vision for us as a people. And each week we're going to be talking about different parts of vision. This week we're going to be talking about vision for your life. Next week we're going to be talking about vision for others. Like how do you look at someone and have vision for their life? How do you do that? We're going to be talking about vision for this church. And we're going to be talking about vision for your community. Like, what's it look like to have a crystal clear picture of what should happen in your neighborhood with your neighbors that you actually live around? What is that? So I've called today's talk Vision for Your Life. I want to pray and invite God's presence. Will you join me? Holy Spirit, we invite you to be here. We ask you to come. We know that you're already here, but increase our awareness of your presence. God, I know you're stirring up things in people's hearts and minds right now. God, I ask that you would help me to speak as I should, help me to steward what's actually happening in the room. And God, I ask that you would give us pictures, words, clarity around what you're doing. God, I uh, lift up, uh, just in the last 24 hours, these two mass shootings, uh, one in El Paso and the other in Dayton. Uh we need you to be Lord of our lives, but we need you to be Lord over this country. And so we lift up the victims and their families and all the talk. God, this was a big deal this weekend, but you're bigger. And so we look to you. Speak to us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Vision for your life. Now, oftentimes, vision for your life doesn't start with a big grand thing. It's not like the movies all the time. Sometimes it starts as an awakening, it starts as a happy accident. It starts when we become aware of something around us that's on the outside that we weren't aware of before, or sometimes we become aware of something inside of us that's stirring that we never felt before. And what we find is that God brings vision. Sometimes in a normal day, in a normal set of circumstances. And we're going to be looking at a passage in the Bible, in the life of Jesus, where that happens to somebody who encounters Jesus. It was just a normal day, a normal time, and something happens like that. Now, the background I want to give to you before we take a look at what we read in the Bible is this. Israel, where it's located, at the time of Jesus, was occupied by Romans and the Romans had come in and conquered them. And they were the subjects. The Israelites were the subject to the Romans. The Jews had to pay homage to the Roman emperor. They also had to pay money. They were taxed. And if they didn't pay taxes, they would send in the Roman military to crush the people who evaded taxes. And it wasn't like the IRS where you get a nice little form letter in the mail. You got a sword in the stomach. You had to pay your taxes And you had to do it on time, every time. Now, what the Romans figured out is, hey, we're from a different culture. We don't know the ins and outs of who should be paying taxes and who shouldn't. So let's do this. Let's hire people who are Jewish to gather the taxes for us because they know the ins and outs of the culture and they'll be able to gather more taxes for us. So that's what they did. They hired people called tax collectors. This is the ancient version of the IRS and these tax collectors weren't monitored by some bureaucratic government agency. They could do as they saw fit. And so you had local people that would collect them. And then there was chief people that would oversee them. And the reputation that began to develop over the years is that tax collectors were cheating their own people. They would go into situations and say, you owe this amount of money. And Rome would say, well, you know, hey, we need to collect $10. Let's just use round numbers. Hey, we need to collect $1,000 from this person. And the tax collector would go, okay, I'll go get the $1,000. And they would go collect $1,500. And they would keep the extra $500. Now, they weren't using dollars. I'm just trying to explain to you. Basically, what you found overall is the tax collectors were cheating and scamming the system by being a middleman between the Jewish people and the Romans. They were cheating the system and we find this today. If you go to different countries around the world, not here in America, but if you go here in America too, in other places you'll find that sometimes the system is broken. I remember I was on a trip in Costa Rica. We were traveling from Nicaragua to Costa Rica. We were building a medical clinic in an island called Ometepe. And it was <laughs> and it was in it was in Nicaragua and we were driving back uh, from and, and like these cops saw that our license plate was from Costa Rica and they immediately pulled us over and accused us of something. And basically what they were saying is, we'll let you go if you give us a bribe. But if you don't, you have to go pay this fine over here for this thing with the thing and the thing. And to the credit of our driver, he's like, no, if I participate in the corruption, it will continue. So he went and drove back. It took us an hour to do that because he had to do the right thing. Corruption happens when there isn't really great oversight or when people are left to their own devices. And what we see is that tax collectors were corrupt. They were doing corrupt things. This is all very important stuff to know because we're about to drop into a set of verses where this is important. And this is what we read in Luke 19, starting in verses one verse one. It says this, Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. Uh Uh-oh. Now what do we know? Well, we know that he is a chief tax collector and that he's wealthy. So what does this mean? This means he was probably cheating the system. That he was despised by his own people. His people knew that he was cheating them and there's nothing they could do about it because if they didn't pay him what he thought was important for him, then he could turn them into the Romans and nobody wants to die. Everyone wants to live. So you pay the money. So he was despised. He was rejected by his own people because he sought to become wealthy. And, you know, you're kind of seeing that. Hey, look, Zacchaeus was one of us. And then he gets this job and all of a sudden he's getting more wealthy. How did he do that? Well, he has the entire power of the Roman military behind him, telling you that if you don't pay him, you're going to die. And so we see in these verses that we have as we have a Zacchaeus, we have a chief tax collector and that he's wealthy. And then what do we read in the next verses? It says, he wanted to see who Jesus was, but because he was short and he could not see over the crowd. Oh, wait, 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 wait. But because he was short, he could not see over the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him since Jesus was coming that way. Okay, so what do we see here? We see that he was curious about Jesus and that we see that, Zacchaeus is just a widow guy. I don't know. <laughs> he's just a little guy. And you're starting to get this picture. Oh, here's a guy that's become powerful and wealthy uh, by leveraging the Roman government. And he's a little guy. Wow. Maybe we have a little bit of a Napoleon complex on our hands. And Jesus says, or no, Jesus doesn't say anything yet. Zacchaeus says, what if I just climb up this tree and just sneak a little peek? What if I just climb up, you know, I can't really see over the people. I couldn't ask them to move because they'll probably start shoving me and stab me with a shiv because they don't like me. What what if I just climbed up the tree and just grabbed a little view of who Jesus is? And it's in that place where God's will meets Zacchaeus' little effort that something magical happens. And I find this to be true, not just for Zacchaeus, it's true for us. Sometimes it starts with, well, what if, what if this, what if that, what if there is more to life than all the success I'm having? What if there's more to life then this little job that I have with this little career and this little idea of a family. What if God might want to do something more with me than I could ever imagine? You know, I'm a little nervous about my future. What if God wants to do something that I wasn't expecting? What if? I wonder what could be. Let me ask you a personal question. What are you curious about? What are you interested in? Because sometimes in the little curiosities, the little what ifs, the little, you know what? I wish I could do that, but I can never do that. And besides, everybody wants to do that. Your little, your, those little moments, that's sometimes not you talking to yourself. Sometimes that's the spirit of God stirring you for something that's bigger than yourself. A vision that's bigger than you could have imagined. Let me give you an illustration. There was this time where I was like feeling dejected, walking around like Charlie Brown. And I was like, I don't know if I can do ministry. And I met up with a pastor friend and his name is Eric Pickle. And I met with Eric and we we're just having coffee at the local Starbucks and we we're drinking coffee. And at one point in the conversation, he looks at me. Uh, he was looking at me the whole time, but for dramatic effect, <laughs> like he wasn't here, like he has terrible eye contact. He's And then all of a sudden, Chris, (laughs) he looks at me and he, and he, he says, when you see me up there on stage preaching, does that stir you? Does that get you excited? Do you wish you could do that? And I'm like, yeah, I wish I could do that. But everyone wants to do that. Everyone wants to preach and share God with people and minister to the lost and help people, encourage them, and equip them for what they want to do. Everyone wants to do that. That's not original, Eric. Everyone wants to be a lead teacher pastor. And he looks at me again, and he's like, no, they don't. Nobody wants to do that. What's wrong with you? And I go, a lot's wrong with me. That's why I'm meeting with you. And then... (laughs) And we start to talk and he's like, look, Chris, the fact that you're interested in something that no one's interested in, you need to pay attention to that. Your curiosity, your passion, your interest, that may be God stirring something in you that isn't for other people, but it's specifically for you. And I'm here to say to you, Zacchaeus, up in the tree, what if? What's going on? What if? Sometimes the vision that God has for us starts with us just with our curiosities. Where are you curious? Is it to serve and help the poor? Is it to get a healthier marriage? Is it to welcome God's power and presence in such a way that you're modeling it when you pray for people, people actually get healed? What is it? Maybe it's something having to do with helping women to become the best version of themselves in their workplace. What is it? What is the inkling? What is the interest? What is the what if? Pay attention to those things because God might be in that. Okay, so uh, Jesus uh, is uh, is walking down the street. Uh, Zacchaeus is up in the tree asking the what if question. And then we read in verse 5, it says this. It says, when Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. Now, the background of this in our culture, sometimes we're a little hesitant to invite people over to our place, and it's not necessarily an honor to do so. Oh, no, I got to clean up the house and the cat left hair. Don't want to have people over. In this culture, it was an honor for the person who came from out of town to be welcomed into your home. It was a great honor upon your household, upon your family name. It was really cool. It was a very different culture than our culture. And so what Jesus is essentially saying is, hey... I can go anywhere. I'm not demanding uh, that I go somewhere, but I can go anywhere. And I choose you, Zacchaeus, little wee man up in the tree. Why don't you come down and why don't we go to your house? To the shock of the crowd. Whoa. To the shock of Zacchaeus. And it says, so he came down at once, slid down the tree. And then he brought him to his house and they hung out and they had a good time. Which leads me to our second point. God's vision for our lives is bigger than our own. You know, Zacchaeus up in the tree probably wanted a little distance because even if he had the chance to talk to Jesus or have Jesus talk to him, what's, that, what's he afraid is going to happen? Because Zacchaeus probably was like, Jesus was going to be like, hey, look, in the tree, it's a bad guy. Kill him. Or maybe he would be like, hey, Zacchaeus. Come down here. We're going to reinstate you as a fellow Jew, but you just need to admit that you extorted money, that you colluded with the Roman government to take money from the Jewish people. Lay it out here. Come on, tell them all. Like sometimes we think that interacting with Jesus and experiencing Jesus or experiencing God means that Jesus is going to throw the book at us. And that's not what happens here. The exact opposite happens here. You may have thought that Jesus was going to lay into him and punch him right in the nose. But instead, Jesus does what? Here's what he does. He says, I see you. And I welcome you. And I honor you. Did you know that Jesus sees you? Like he really sees you. Like he sees you at your best. And he sees you at your not so best. He sees you. When you're full of life and full of fun. And he sees you at that moment where you were rejected and at the lowest place of your life. He sees you. Not just like he sees you walking down the street. But he sees your heart. He knows the depths of your soul. Your longings and your desires and your vision and your lack of vision and your faith. And your lack of faith. He sees it all. And he knows it even better than you do. He sees you. And we also see that Jesus loves Zacchaeus. He loved him. And how did he show him that he loved him? Jesus showed Zacchaeus the kind of love that he needed most. It was welcoming. It wasn't tough love. Like, hey, bad boy, stop being bad. It was, you are accepted. I accept you. Let me ask you another personal question. Have you experienced the love of Jesus lately? Have you experienced the warmth that comes from pausing and opening your hands? Nothing magical about opening your hands, but opening your life and saying, Jesus, I need to experience you. Have you experienced that? And I'm not talking about that one time in 2013 when you were looking over the Pacific Ocean, licking a mint chocolate chip cone. Like maybe God is in this moment. (laughs) I'm talking about now. Like, have you experienced Jesus now? What he has to say to you now? God loves you. God sees you. Not just people that maybe are still figuring out what they believe about Jesus. Jesus is trying to speak to you Christians who think because you checked the box and accepted Jesus as Lord. He's trying to talk to you now about how you've left some space after you've committed to him. He wants to close the gap. He wants you to know that he sees you, not in a weird way, but in a way that's loving, and a way that's welcoming you and accepting you and bringing you into the family of God. And if you want to follow God and if you want to experience vision for your life, you need to see that God is probably going to do something bigger than you expect, but it's going to start from a place of love and acceptance. It's not going to start by throwing out, like, hey, here's a challenge. Here's where you've messed up the last five years. Now go ahead and fix it and get back to me. That's not how it's going to work with him. It usually starts from a place of warmth and acceptance. So uh, Jesus and Zacchaeus, they're having this warm little fuzzy moment at the house, hanging out, and it seems perfect that the next verse is where it is. In verse 7, it says this. It says, but all the people saw this and began to mutter. He's going to be the guest of a sinner. You can just imagine. Yeah, well, you know, He's going to be a guest of a sinner. I was going to invite him over. We were going to have baklava. And he went over to Zacchaeus' house. And he's a tax worker. You almost get the impression that if Jesus met Zacchaeus in his time of need, And in that time of need, Jesus showed love by showing him love and acceptance. What was Zacchaeus' life like before this? It was probably not a place where he was experiencing love and acceptance. And we can start to draw conclusions about how Zacchaeus became who he was. That if his biggest need wasn't more money and power, if his biggest need was in fact love and acceptance, and he found the way to get that by getting more money and power, it beg, also you combine it with his height. So he's a short guy going out making money, making himself in the world. You get this idea that maybe the world, on its first pass, overlooks Zacchaeus. That Zacchaeus wasn't one of the inside people, that he was on the outs and he tried to use whatever means necessary to get what he wanted to have a fulfilled life. Zac's deepest need wasn't money or power, it was for acceptance. And you know, societies in general have a long tradition of creating their own problems. You know, hey, well, we got to exclude this kind of group. And as a result, that kind of group suffers some hardships, which then the uh, group that just got done excluding them holds them accountable for. So you got to understand, I'm not saying that Zacchaeus isn't responsible for his own sin and his own cheating. He definitely is. And we'll see that in a minute, that he holds himself accountable. But I also recognize that, like, when we treat people a certain way, we can't expect them to be something other than that way that we've been treating them. And we see that here, that man, wow, he's such a sinner. Well, maybe that has something to do with the way your society, the way the culture is set up. Uh, something to think about. But in all this, in spite of all the ways that the naysayers were naysaying, here's what, here's what happens. So they get to the house, they're hanging out, and Zacchaeus says this. He says, But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, here and now, I give half of my possessions to the poor. And if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. Brings us to our third point God's vision for us is full of love and it transform, transforms us. Something happened to Zacchaeus in that conversation. They're at the house. They get to the house. Zacchaeus is setting things up. They got the pita, they got the hummus, they got the Baba Ganoush. Uh, they're sitting around drinking Brunello di Montalcino, like a really good year that was shipped from Rome because he's connected to Rome. And in that moment, they're sitting, reclining, hanging out. Something happens to Zacchaeus where he goes, "Man, Jesus is the real deal. This is this is different." This is the real thing. Whatever I had before, and he starts to have this internal conversation. Man, Whatever I was doing with all this money and all, these, all this jewelry and all these fancy donkeys because they didn't have cars and all the stuff, that this is not worth it. What I have found in Jesus is so much better. It is so much better than everything else that I had before. And this is so good, this conversation. I am getting something. Something is going on here. And it's not just marginally better. It's like way better. What Jesus is offering me is way better. And he realized that there was so, something so real and so tangible that he started to move towards that. And in that moment, Jesus actually, in that conversation, changed Zacchaeus. His heart began to change. Something broke in Zacchaeus that day. And that was the power to rely on him his own self. He realized that no matter what he has done, that Jesus was welcoming him in and that he was loved by Jesus. And now as a result of that, he was free to obey God. He was free to be generous. He was free from the things of uh, that were tackled were causing him to think and, and act in bad ways. He didn't have to be greedy anymore because he realized he had everything that he needed in Jesus. And when I read this statement, I don't read Zacchaeus being begrudgingly like, oh, well, you know, you cornered me and now you're at my house, I've got to give away half my stuff, and if I cheated anyone, i I see this as a response to the power of God's love in the moment. Where he's like, Oh, you know, I've just been sitting here, Jesus. And I just gotta tell you, if I've cheated anyone, I'm gonna give it all back. And if I've done anything of taken any money, I'm gonna just like give them four times as much. How's that sound? Because this is too good. This is changing me. Jesus, I've been changed by your love. And now I have a vision that's different about how I'm going to use my money. And Jesus, I have been changed by your love. And now I have a vision about how I'm going to interact with the other people in my little town in Jericho. And you know, if we start to pay attention to the power of Jesus... And we start to welcome his power in our life. I'm talking to people that know Jesus and people that don't know Jesus. It doesn't matter if we continue to invite him in. We're going to see these kinds of things too. You will see these kinds of things and it can be uncomfortable, but it can be really good too. Jesus. I've been changed by your love. And now I have a vision to get rid of these habits in my life. Jesus. I've been changed by your love. There's something going on in me. I have a vision to fix the things that are broken in my marriage. Jesus. I have been changed by your love and I have a vision about how to raise this little kid in our house. I have a vision to surrender my life, to serve you in ministry. Jesus, I have a vision for the women in my life, how I can serve them. Jesus, I have a vision for how I can give to the men in my life and pray for them. Jesus, I have a vision for how I can lead my friends into a growing relationship with Jesus Christ. When you get in touch with the love of Jesus, you're going to start to have a new vision. And that's what we see with Zacchaeus, that his life required a realignment, a new alignment. And I don't know whether God is inviting you today to deal with some things that are on the negative side in your life, or if God is inviting you to become the next Mother Teresa. I do know that when you experience the power of the Holy Spirit through Jesus, There will be something that will lead you to have to step out and change something. Not because you have to, but because you want to. And so Jesus responds to Zacchaeus' statement, and he says this in verses 9 and 10. He says, Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, because this man too is a son of Abraham. For the son of man came to seek and to save the lost. Nobody. Is outside of the reach of Jesus. Nobody. Is too lost for Jesus. That's you. That's me. That's also that person. That you're thinking of. No one. Is too lost for Jesus. And then sometimes. When we think about Jesus. And what he does for people. We tend to think about the down and outers. We think to ourselves. Oh you know Jesus came to seek and to save. The homeless man that was pooping in my carport the other day. Oh, he's there to save that guy. Oh, the down and outer, this guy doesn't have a lot of resources. This woman is addicted and this and that. But if we want to be faithful to this text, if we want to pay attention to what's really going on here, we've got to acknowledge that Jesus just isn't helping down and outers. He's also helping. And he also came to seek and to save up and outers. People that seem to have it all. In the story, Zacchaeus was a wealthy man that had power. Despite his short stature and how he was separated from his community, he was a powerful person. Jesus can save the wealthy person who is misusing their wealth. Person who has swindled the culture. A person who is an oppressor of the culture. Jesus does not just welcome the poor, but he also welcomes the powerful. And so if we want to think like Jesus thinks, we have to welcome a more broad view of how we think about our peers and how we think about our enemies. Jesus came to save and seek, seek and to save those who won't vote the same as you in the next presidential election. Jesus came to seek and to save those who are done atrocious things, Uh, to women and children. Jesus came to save those who have made fortunes off prescription drugs, which have resulted in addictions. Jesus came to save the masterminds behind like the old kind of uh, high lender loans that have resulted in ongoing cyclical debt. Jesus came not just to save bums, but the Bernie Madoffs. He came not just to save the hurting, But the Harvey Weinsteins, there is something that is so broad about what Jesus wants to do in our culture that we should be wincing a little bit. We should be like, well, you know, I can welcome this person or that person. But there are people, especially in West L.A., Los Angeles and in Santa Monica, where Jesus wants to do something with them. Don't let your bias and your bigotry towards the up and outers keep you from joining God in his work To seek and to save those who are desperate for something more. Does that make sense? Okay. So, the next time there's a new scandal that hits your newsfeed it's a politician, a preacher, some sort of athlete, some public figure you need to look at them differently. We need to look at them differently. And we need to say, look, Jesus came for them too. God, what do you want me to do to participate in that? And as a church, Pacific City Church wants to be that kind of church. We are where we are so welcoming that it could be actually um, scandalous. Jesus was scandalous for his time, welcoming someone that had betrayed his own people. That's a really hard pill to swallow. I don't know that I'm ready to swallow that. So I'll just give it to you to swallow. (laughs) We are going to have to find ways to help those that we have biases against. So interesting fact here. After the story is over, Zacchaeus stays in Jericho. You might think that when you have some kind of radical encounter with Jesus that, you know, hey, I'm going to sell everything And I'm going to follow you, Jesus. I'm going to become apostle number 13. I'm going to go with you to all the places and do the thing with the thing. Uh, But it doesn't happen that way. Zacchaeus does not become one of Jesus' disciples that day. He didn't go on to follow Jesus into the road uh, to Jerusalem. He didn't didn't escape all the puzzled and inquisitive looks uh, from all the people in his town saying like, wow, this guy really changed. It seems as if Zacchaeus was called to live out his new vision for his life right where he was with the new tools that he had been given because he had experienced Jesus. He was going to become a part of the renewed Israel that Jesus came to bring. Now, Jesus' vision can change our lives, but Jesus' vision doesn't stop at conversion. It's ongoing. The name of this series For this whole month is God give us eyes to see. There are things that God wants to do to you. There are things that God wants to do in you. There's things that God wants to speak to you specifically. There's things that God wants to remove the veil from your eyes and give you lenses to see things that you couldn't see before. And there are opportunities that God wants to alert you to. But you need God's eyes to see them. You in and of yourself, it's clear from the Bible and everything you know about your own life is that you are limited. You don't have the ability to see it all and God is giving you an answer today. By the power of his spirit, he is telling you, you can have eyes to see what I'm doing in your life and in the lives of others. And you need not to look to yourself to figure out your own vision for your own life. But if you would just look to him, as your eyes go to him, you will be able to experience a new sense of vision that God has for you. I see people in this room that you have a vision to change this city. I see people in this room who have a desire to help women of faith to work through what it means to be in science and technology in a world that's predominantly secularized and full of men. I see people in this room who are ready to leave behind pain from the past, from experiences they've had as younger people for something so much bigger that Jesus has for you. I see old people that want to to dream new dreams. And I see young people that want to do something amazing. I see cynical people and skeptical people being freed from that skepticism to have clear vision about what God wants to do. And I see people who are wondering if God, does God really love me? Does God really love me? He wants to speak to us. He wants to give us vision and we want to go to him just like, just, just a little orientation, just like Zacchaeus did. He just climbed a tree and then Jesus got a hold of him. Would you just open your hands or open your life and say, God, give me eyes to see what you're doing in my life. Help me to know where you're leading me. You have no idea what God may want to do with your life. You have no idea how may God may want to use you. How may God may want to partner with you. Earlier I left out a verse, but it, uh, there's this verse where Jesus is talking about God, as father. And he's saying, I only do what I see the father doing. And I join him in his work. There's an opportunity for us because we don't know. You just don't know what God may want to do. We do have an opportunity just to welcome his presence and say, God, what do you want to do? We need to ask, God, give us eyes to see. Are you willing to try to do that with me this month? Are you willing to say, God, give me eyes to see what you're up to? What are you doing in my life? What are you doing in my, the person sitting to my left's right, but you know, in the right and left and right. What are you going to do in my neighbors? What do you want to do in my workplace? What do you want to do with my career? God, what's going on in my career, my future? God, give me eyes to see. Why don't we all stand?